This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, I've got a big announcement about the show and the future of the channel. I think you're going to want to hear it. Plus, I give you my big takeaway. How can we really interpret how well Frankie Edgar did on Saturday night? I will tell you. And then last but not least, Ryan Bader loses to Vadim Nemkov. What does that mean for either of those gentlemen and the Bellator light heavyweight division? We'll talk about that as well. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Um, we got a lot to get to today in terms of the fights, but I mentioned there's some other things beyond just fight talk. I have to give you a bit of an announcement today. It is not one that I do with great pleasure, although I certainly am excited for my future, but uh, you should know that this will be the last week of this show. Uh, My call, nobody else's, uh, although certainly they have the right (laughs) if they wanted to, to make it certainly uh, be less than that. But uh, here's what I mean. I have accepted a position full-time with CBS Sports. I'm going to be a, a combat sports analyst for the uh, Tiffany Network, it appears. Uh, my first day will be the 31st. So my last show here will be the 28th. I have a lot of feelings about this. Um, this is the only hard part of the job, really, in terms of accepting the new one, because I've had the time of my life here. Um, Sirius XM has never been anything other than a good thing in my life. How many things in your life can you say that about? Not many. Maybe you had a good night at the prom. You know, maybe you played sports on some level. You just had a great game. Everything about that game was just awesome. Well, I had almost, what, eight, nine years here. And yeah, there were some trying days and there were some days that were better than others like anything else. But I can't, I can't go any further than uh, where I am today and say that this was nothing, uh, I have a mixed feelings about it all. I don't have mixed feelings. <laughs> My feelings are very clear. This was one of the best decisions I ever made. And this is one of the best companies to work for in all of media. What a joy it has been to be here. Now, why has it been a joy? Well, one, I've always enjoyed doing radio, and I've had a great opportunity to do this show. I got to fill in on Mad Dog on occasion. Um, Thanks to some higher-ups like Jason Dixon and Steve Cohen and others, I got to do Super Bowl radio twice, and on Super Bowl radio, you get to talk to athletes, and I got to talk to the mayor of Miami and the mayor of L.A., and... You know, I got to interview, let's see, um, all kinds of uh, celebrities, and it was, I mean, it was such a great time, right? But, um, but really, the, the, the crux of it all, why it was so great, is because I got to, before I had joined here, I had uh, my own weekend radio show on a local channel, uh, actually the time was CBS Radio, now it's owned by Intercom, uh, 106.7 The Fan. And it was called MMA Nation. And it was on Saturdays for a time and then Sundays for a time. But it was really going nowhere because local radio is just not built for um, a, a topic like MMA, unless you're in Vegas or something. Certainly not Washington, D.C. And I realized it was not going to go anywhere. So I had quit, I think, in January of 2012, something like that. And then not long after, maybe 2011, 
not long after I started on the fight club. So it was me and uh, RJ Clifford and Ricky bones. And we did that for, I think a while, maybe a couple of years or so. And that was fun. It was only a couple of days a week, but then Marissa came to me and was like, why don't we do the Luke Thomas show? And even that started on a temporary basis, but it became pretty clear to me at the time that that was going to be my next step in my career was full on radio, three hours a day, five days a week. One of the best decisions I have ever made in my life. Not difficult at all uh, to make it at the time and not one. I have not one day. Have I ever looked back and go, I don't know about that one. Easiest call in the world because I work for a great company. I had a great opportunity. I was surrounded by talent. You know, I give Russo a ton of grief and he deserves it because he's short and angry and weird, but he is pretty talented, you know, and I had other good uh, help around me as well, and Ty and, and Kelly and all, all kinds of good people. Like, I, uh, what am I going to do? I'm going to sit there and complain about them? Like, I, I had a great thing going. And I had creative freedom, right? If I wanted to come on the show and call an audible and talk about this or that, I could. If I wanted to come on the show and, you know, tell you how I felt about something, they said, do it. Be you. How many places you ever worked in your life where someone was like, you know, do what you want. Be yourself. You don't get that in this world. Very rarely, anyway. I had it. I had it for five years. More than that, but just as the Luke Thomas iteration. Five years. I got to go to some of the biggest fights. We got to put on some of the best parties. You know, our last party, I feel like, was super great. Izzy came through, uh, the current middleweight champ. Dominic Reyes came through, who, by the way, might end up being the light heavyweight champ. We had Jake Shields come through, previous champ. We had... Uh, Laura Sanko come through, Valentina Shevchenko come through. I mean, it was amazing. And then a bunch of you guys came through. And uh, shouts to um, Legends in New York City where we held it. I got to do co-shows with Misha Tate at the, uh, at the um, oh gosh, what's the name of the place in Vegas, Cobb? That we got to do it. The, the Beer House. The Beer House. Right outside the T-Mobile Arena. You know, I got to do everything in this business that people say they want to do. I couldn't have a complaint today if I tried. I am filled with nothing but gratitude and uh, fulfillment and, you know, not joy that I'm leaving, but joy about what it's been. And I have to say, a bit of a special mention here. I mentioned it on social media yesterday. I'll do it here again today. Not because I have to. I don't have to say anything like what I'm saying now. I'm saying it because I want to. I got to give a special thanks to Marissa. Let me explain something to you in your life. If you are aspiring to do anything, and in particular in media, let me tell you what you're looking for. I've got good news in that I can easily identify what it's supposed to be. I got bad news because I don't know if it's ever going to happen for you. You need to find somebody ahead of you who believes in you. That really is the key to everything. Now, you got to do the things to make people believe in you, right? You got to work hard. You got to work on your craft. You got to get better. You know, you got to reach for as far as you can go. But just because you do that doesn't mean you will find someone who believes in you. Here is what you need in life to really succeed, to get ahead. You need a couple of people 
who have your back, who are your champions, who, who will be your advocate in ways that you could never be your own. And if you have that, ladies and gentlemen, whether you have it currently or there's a scenario where you're looking at or something, that's where you got you to gotta spend some time in, in that chapter in your life doing that. There is no substitute for that. And I had someone who was a complete believer. If I wanted to do something on the show, yes, SiriusXM absolutely believes in their host and gives creative freedom. And, you know, of course, you know, they, they monitor how well you do it. You know, you can't just, <laughs> you can't just go in there and uh, uh, half-ass it. But I had complete creative freedom. At every turn where I wanted to do something, she believed in it. And at every time she had a chance for me to do something in the company, she was an advocate for it. And every time she felt like I was owed something, whether or not I felt like it, she pleaded the case to the people who needed to hear it. If you ever have something like that in your life, you're as lucky as they come. They don't, it doesn't get better than that is, that is it. That is what you're looking for. And so I have to give a special, special thanks to Marissa, who I consider a friend. She is the architect of this channel. Sirius XM, it takes combat sports seriously, partly because they understand, you know, the business, but also because Marissa has been cracking that whip for a decade. And she has built a juggernaut because while I may be on the way out, I got news for you. The, the train here doesn't stop. Sirius XM's MMA and combat sports coverage is not going anywhere. They are going to keep it rolling. Trust me, you are in store for greatness. But I just have to say, I want to thank all the listeners. I want to thank everyone I got a chance to work with. I want to thank the company, Steve Cohen, Jason Dixon, and others. And I got to say thanks to, in particular, obviously, to uh, Marissa. Because, listen, CBS made me an offer that at this juncture in my life, you know, I got a mortgage, I got a kid, you know, I got to think about calculations a little bit differently than maybe I once did. And they made me an offer I simply could not refuse. Um, but nothing was wrong here. There was never a day where I dreaded coming on the air. There was never a day where I didn't want to work. There was n none of that ever, ever. It was a treat to work here. It's been a treat every time. Today is a treat. The rest of this week will be one. Uh, and so to everybody, thank you. Seriously, legitimately, thank you. Because it has been super fun. It has been exactly what I needed at the time of my career where I had it. It has helped me, uh, you know, get the profile that I was looking for in the sport. And it's just been the, the most rewarding decision. You want to talk about a decision I made that, you know, paid big time. Uh, this is it. This is the one that was like incredible. Um, and so I'm grateful for it. Now, before I get out of here for this segment and we kick the show off in earnest, let me note, there is a show coming to replace mine. I want to be very clear about that. They're not just taking me off the air and saying, well, that's it. Might as well, you know, close down the tent, pack it up, go home. Nah, it's not what they're doing. 
uh, I know what's coming. <laughs> y'all are y'all are in luck, man. This is the strength of Marissa, right? Understanding what talent sounds like, how to recruit it, how to keep it, and how to make things work in an ever-evolving and changing business. So that announcement is coming very soon. You are going to get just as much content as you got before, and I have a strong suspicion, strong suspicion, you are going to like what you hear. That is, that is my that is my pledge because I don't have any control over it, but um, you know that is my very, very deep suspicion. Okay? So let's do this. We still got a lot of show to do. Enough with the weeping and the moping and the blah, blah, blah. We got to get to some MMA talk. UFC Vegas 7 was over the weekend. Frankie Edgar, surprising some of y'all, not me, but now I'm seeing things maybe calibrated the wrong way. It'll be time for my big takeaway when we come back. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on SiriusXM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts. All right, Luke Thomas Show. It is time now for my big takeaway. Luke Thomas has examined the fights, studied the film, listened to the interviews, and made his decision the biggest lesson he learned over the weekend. Fights like that are the reason we watch MMA. This is the big takeaway on the Luke Thomas Show. Okay, we are back. Luke Thomas Show. Let's do it. Time for my big takeaway. And my big takeaway is this. If you listen to this show regularly, and we put this out for free on the podcast on Friday, we talked in detail about that Frankie Edgar and Pedro Munoz fight. And what did I tell you on Friday? I looked at the odds and I'm like, I'm not necessarily against the idea of Pedro Munoz being the favorite. I don't think that that's crazy. He's a top five guy and maybe he lost to Sterling, but... You know, he's pretty talented. Okay, fine. No, no issue really with him being the favorite, but he was a heavy favorite. They had Edgar as a plus 230 underdog in certain places. I did not understand that at all. And I said this on Friday. It looked to me that what was happening was people were trying to assess his long-term, Edgar's long-term potential at 135 and saying, well, it's not very good. And then using that sort of jaundiced view to paste onto their assessment of the fight with Munoz, and that was just not smart. Now, in in earnest, I scored that fight three rounds to two for Pedro Munoz. I thought he won the first, lost the second. I have to go back and look. He definitely lost the fifth. So I think I gave the first, third, and fourth to Munoz, and then the second and fifth to Edgar. However, to be clear, it was close. If you scored that fight for Edgar, I don't think there's any problem with that. You have to understand it's not a robbery. It was super close. This is just what happens in the current scoring system based on everything we've discussed a million times when you get rounds like that. So everyone, I think what they had done was they were like, you know what? He had looked really bad against Korean Zombie. That has to count against him. You know, he didn't win a title 145. He's washed. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, and we can all acknowledge that the fight against the Korean zombie went poorly, but let's look at the context here, right? Number one, 
He took it on super short notice. Number two, he took it on short notice when he was already going down to 135. So he, he wasn't even like, it wasn't the right frame of mind or project or anything like that. Then he goes over to, to Busan, gets housed. Okay, Korean Zombie has not fought Volkanovsky or Holloway yet, but he might be the best 145 or not name them, and maybe he beats them too. It's certainly a, a, a debatable point. I'm just trying to argue he is at the top of that division, if not, um, you know, he's two or three. So Frankie losing to him on short notice in the way that he did, it's bad, but I didn't think it was the end of the world. He had taken Max Holloway the distance, and yes, he had lost that one too, but all of those rounds were close. The scores were not reflective of the reality. Okay, Ortega got a nice win. Yes, Frankie Edgar was not going to be a title holder at 145 pounds. I'm not saying that the losses don't count. They count. But so should the wins, and so should some of the nature of the losses. The Ortega one, pretty clean, although that one was taken on short notice too, if, if memory serves. Or the change was late anyway. And then we looked at the Pedro Munoz matchup. And I'm like, why would you think Edgar's outgunned here? Okay, Munoz has a good chin and he hits hard. And that could be a problem. And we don't know exactly how Frankie's speed is going to look. That seems like a reasonable thing to pause your um, enthusiasm a little bit and certainly mitigate it. But the amount of motion that Frankie uses, the amount of fakes and feints, the amount of differentiation, the ins and the outs, the good wrestling that he has. We talked about the poor takedown defense that Munoz has. There's a lot of reasons to think where the best kind of striking you get from Frankie is when he mixes up the two, right? He either gets the takedown or he establishes a credible takedown threat. Now, he didn't do that all the time in this fight, but he did it enough to win. It should not be a surprise to you that Frankie Edgar won that fight. Again, depending on how you scored it. But to me, it's close enough to give it to him. I scored it for Munoz, but, you know, I understand. I, I, I can't really say a score three to two for Frankie is wrong. It's not. And he did exactly the kinds of things we've known historically he could do all along and has done in this division uh, and did recently against Max Holloway. Not in a winning performance, but, you know, certainly a credible one. So I didn't understand the pessimism on that one. If you want to have long-term pessimism, which I'll get to in just a second, I don't think that's crazy. But short-term pessimism, that seems a little bit weird about in that Pedro Munoz fight. And we went over that in detail. That is free for anyone to fact check. Go and listen to what we said on Friday. Now, here's the problem with what we've arrived, and this is my big takeaway. People are so surprised at how well he did because they did not expect him to do very well, that now I think they're overcorrecting a little bit. To be clear, let's state something outright. The win against Munoz is nothing but a positive. It's, I mean, there's obviously nuances to it, but I mean to say, performing as ably as he did and getting a win over a top five opponent, folks, what, what could you, it's great. It immediately makes him a threat in that division. And given how things are going, where you've got Sandhagen and Marais coming up for a fight, Sterling and Jan have uh, you know business to attend to, and then you've got uh, Garbrandt going down to 125 for a title fight. I got to tell you, you get the winner of Munoz, maybe he gets the winner of Marais and Sandhagen, I don't really know, 
But he's probably, what, one at most two wins away from a title shot? I don't think that's crazy either. But here's the only part I think we need to wrap our head around. If you underestimated him heading into Saturday, do not overcorrect. I still think there are reasons to be somewhat pessimistic, no, outright pessimistic about him not doing well at Bantamweight. Frankie had a successful campaign in many ways at 145. In terms of being a title holder, however, I would express some reservation about that. I don't know at 38 years of age with all those miles, he can beat this really new and dynamic generation of fighters that are out there. The Sterlings, the Yans, Marais, obviously he probably knows better than others. We'll, we'll see how that one goes. But um, if he ends up fighting him or something, but you know, uh, Jose Aldo was kryptonite for him at 145, and you've seen how he's done. Now you could say maybe he got a win over Marais or should have. It was close, but he got housed by Jan, and he was competitive at times. But winning a title, I think you need to pump the brakes on a little bit. And so that's the point. If you underestimated him on Friday, do not overcorrect on Monday. Give him the respect he's owed. He won a very close fight against the top five guy in his bantamweight debut. He looked to be the right size for this weight class. He didn't gas at all. He had many of his conventional weapons, and a lot of them worked successfully. I was a little surprised his power didn't translate a little bit more down to 135, but again, Munoz has a really good chin. There were some leg kick issues I think he'll need to address going forward, but still, it didn't ultimately derail a successful effort. The way to look at this is he immediately belongs in the top five and then stop there and say, let's see what he can do next. Let's see what he's got in store for us next. But don't overcorrect and be like, oh my God, this might be the thing. The thing I think you can say is we had Mark Henry, his coach, call into this show. And when I say call in, I mean... We didn't book him for an interview. Five years ago, he was just listening and called in of his own volition in his car and said five years ago, he said Frankie could go down to 135. Five years ago, they were looking at it. Five years ago, he, could, he probably should have done it because I think he definitely would have gotten a title at that point if he had done it. Or certainly, you know, who knows how it would have gone against Dominic Cruz, but Frankie five years ago at 30, what, three years of age, you know, you had to like his chances. I'll put it that way. Now, you cannot discount them, but it's a much tougher climb. Getting into the top five is impressive, but each additional step at 135 pounds is exponentially harder than the last one. Keep that in mind. So great win. Great debut. First fighter in UFC history to get fight of the night in three different weight classes. Just don't overcorrect for a misunderstanding from the beginning. That was a fight he was very capable of winning. He did. Don't let that make you think all of a sudden this is the guy who's going to beat Peter Yan or whoever wins between Yan and Sterling. That is not a thing you can say is wrong, but that is not a conclusion you should jump to either. Dan Patrick Radio is Sirius XM's home for Australian rules football. Walked into all styles. Australian media icon Eddie Maguire for Aussie Football Rules America as he brings you the latest celebrity chats, tips and expert analysis of Australian football. Then stay tuned for the Aussie Rules Game of the Week. Kick the goal and score! 
Fremantle win it after the siren. It all starts Thursday at 6pm Eastern on Dan Patrick Radio, Channel 211 and the Sirius XM app. Real quickly, we were talking about the Edgar Munoz fight. I want to talk about Bader versus Nemkov. We actually have Dana talking about the fight between Edgar and Munoz and, and how hard it was to score. Let me hear that, please. I, you know, it's that by ESPN, too. It's like, uh, it was a close fight. It's close. If they just said Munoz, I wouldn't have said, oh, my God, that's crazy either. Either one of those guys could have won that fight. It's about right. I scored it one way. If you scored it another, just, you know, I think anything 4-1 is probably a little bit harder to justify. <laughs> and I know one of the scores was. Yeah, I think one of the scores, I think I had it 49-46 for Munoz. That's a little bit weirder on my part, but um, not the end of the world. Okay, so let's get to this. So on fr- uh, Friday night, Ryan Bader, after I think two years or something, finally made the cut down to uh, 205 and defended his Bellator light heavyweight title against Vadim Nemkov. It did not go well. Uh, Vadim Nemkov steamrolled him. And yes, he got a takedown Bader did in the first round, but he didn't do a whole lot with it. On the feet, he was no match for Nemkov. Nemkov ends it throwing a jab, and I think he intentionally did it to get Bader to lean to one side and then use the jab, not merely to cause a slip to one side, but then to pull the hand down like like a hand trap and then kicked him in the head, dropped him, and then there was this finish, which was somewhat controversial. I hated it a lot in real time. Upon further consideration, still think it could have been stopped a little bit earlier. In fact, I'm I'm very sure it could have been stopped earlier, but I don't think it's a crazy bad stoppage like I did before. And here's what you can say about that stoppage no matter what. He gave Bader every opportunity. I mean, he gave him every possible opportunity. There's no doubt who won that fight. So much so, I don't hear anybody calling for a rematch. I mean, it just doesn't exist. You don't hear anybody being like, you know what? They could probably run that one back or you know, something like that. They're just like, yep, that sounds about right. He got crushed. Vadim Nemkov is the real deal. We warned everyone. We had Big John on the show a week ago today, and I asked Big John flat out, is Vadim Nemkov the toughest challenger Ryan Bader has faced in Bellator? And we both agreed that it was. Well, there's the proof. They couldn't land a punch on him in the heavyweight Grand Prix. He couldn't get out from under Vadim Nemkov. That dude is a serious, serious talent. You know, it's kind of funny. You had Josh Thompson on the, in the broadcast booth. And I have to tell you, I think Josh has been such a tremendous addition to the Bellator booth, in part because he and you know, Big John have great chemistry and whatnot. But he made a great point, which was, look, Ryan Bader's 38, okay? And he's still big and he's still fast and he's still strong, as he showed in the Heavyweight Grand Prix. But probably his best days at light heavyweight are behind him. You know, one thing you can do, and it appears to be what John Jones is doing, Light heavyweight is going to catch up with you, you know, in general, before heavyweight does, if you can make both both divisions and you're very talented, right? Think about that for a second. You're going to lose probably, you never know this for sure, but probably you're going to lose at light heavyweight before you do at heavyweight. So if you do what Jones is doing, which is that like, you know, he got out of that Reyes fight, you can say what he wants. He got out of that Reyes fight by the skin of his teeth and he knows it. So why not go to heavyweight and then start plying your trade there? 
Bader is still your belt or heavyweight champion. Does anyone see on the horizon someone that's going to take that from him right away? Because I sure don't. He still will have a strength, not advantage, but he'll be plenty strong for that division. He'll be very fast for that division. He'll be powerful. I mean, there'll be so many things he can do in that division that are just not really readily available to him. Like it used to be at 205 pounds. And if you make that shift at the right time, it actually doesn't come at some kind of cost to your, to your brand. You know, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt your stock. The thing about Bader, and I understand it, you know, everything's hindsight 2020, but the thing about Bader is he, he kind of waited a little bit too long before making that move. But uh, he made it, you know, he made it. And I think he still has refuge there. If John can go up and without losing right away, you can see all it does is add to your legend. It doesn't take it away. It's kind of an interesting moment about when you got to switch. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. Kevin is in Chicago. Kevin, what did you make of that Ryan Bader loss? Luke, what does the Nemnenkov, Peter Jan, Alex Volkanovsky, Stipe Miocic, Alex Povetkin, um, Jan Wojovic, what do they all have in common? They all got last names that are difficult to spell. They're all Slavic. Can you explain to me why this Slavic takeover in combat sports, whether it be Lomachenko, the Klitschko brothers, why are they why are they dominating combat sports while their Western European counterparts are kind of falling behind? What's the um what separates them? What's the difference there? Because I see it all across the board. Whether it be basketball, Luka Doncic, Djokovic, they're dominating throughout all sports. Novak, Djokovic. Everybody they have in the light heavyweight division, we let go of. Whoa, whoa, why are we playing to the clip? Hang on, hang on with the clip, hang on. Go ahead, Kevin, finish your point. No, I'm just saying, um, it seems like Slavic people are just dominating in sports. And the Western Europeans, um, the Anglos, they're just falling behind. I don't know. They're just not. They just can't seem to keep up. I see that all across the board in the UFC, Bellator, and all the sports, really. Basketball, I've been seeing it. Um, pretty amazing to see, but I just want to get your thoughts, what's your take on that, because pretty impressive to see. Take it easy. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. I mean, with Volkanovsky, he is, I mean, he's probably Slavic in origin, hence the name, but he is native, well, he's Australian by nationality and certainly by culture and by um you know his identity from birth uh, at that point so to me you know that's he's more part of the rise of australian and oceanic mma than anything else although there might be some genetic traits i don't really know but obviously it look it just means a lot to that part of the world that combat sports success is a thing that they have it, it is much more a forward part of their um sports landscape it, there's a lot of cultural expectation they have a lot of best practices involved from boxing to striking to um, um obviously combat sambo and then wrestling these are just very forward parts of their you know i think certainly their male identity their sporting identity their national identity and so they just put in a lot more effort to them and they've gotten better at it over time and 
the results speak for themselves. I mean, the Russians are here, man. And it's not just the ones who have the neck beards and, the, and are, are, are uh, Muslims, although certainly they are a dominating force as well. But Peter Jan, you know, from St. Petersburg, Vadim Nemkov from the same hometown as Fedor. They're both Orthodox Christians. Like, it's a little bit different, right? So it tells you that all parts of Russia, they've all got something to offer in terms of that... Um, in the satellite states, too, like Azerbaijan and Rafael Fazayev and Armenia with Armin Saryukian. I mean, that whole region just absolutely dominates combat sports. Cobb, you had called it on Friday, not because we both didn't see Vadim Nemkov as a real threat, but your analysis was a little bit more of the, you know, superstitious variety. But it worked out in the end. Yeah, for sure. My my prediction of Nemkov had nothing to do with X's and O's strategy technique. I just looked at this fight and I said, this is the classic guy outside UFC promotion has a chance to like be considered as one of the top guys in the division anywhere. Two-way champion, moment to shine, and the MMA gods just hate that. <laughs> they they will mm-hmm. not have it. And sure enough, Nemkov goes up there and just, and just runs through Bader. I, I, when I watched it happen, I'm like, yep. This is kind of what I thought, not for any other reason, but the MMA gods just hate success. And we actually now will play in just a second. Let me make my point here. But Dana White was asked because Scott Coker says they have the best light heavyweight division. It's something we'll probably come around to a little bit later to discuss. Certainly Nemkov, one of the top guys in the world. But Dana didn't care much for the idea. Let's hear it. Everybody they have in their light heavyweight division, we let go of. He's got the best. He's got the best light heavyweight division. We let those guys all go. It's like the fucking dumbest thing I've ever heard. He's got but I get it. He's got to try to fucking do his thing. You know what I mean? I'm not shitting on him. He's got to try to do his thing. He's got to try to sell fights. And, uh, you know, the way you don't sell fights is like, oh, I got the best light heavyweight division in the world. I mean, that's the, everybody that was there was let go from here. It's a pretty silly statement. Not quite. First of all, Nemkov is your champion. Second of all, Bader and Anderson, they might have been let go. But they weren't, um, you know, they were taken seriously as talents. Like, they're still top-ranked guys. That's the problem with that argument. It's like, okay, there may have been some promotional differences, but Corey Anderson wasn't let go because he's, no, he's not good at fighting. He was let go because he's good at fighting, not great, relative to who else they have there. And he wanted more money, and they said, you know, pound sand. That's the difference there. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.